Welcome to Mayfield Baptist Church. We are very excited to have you with us here. We do encourage you to follow us on our social media, which you can access through our website at mayfieldbaptist.com. Please feel free to like and subscribe to this podcast to keep you up to date with our latest messages. We do hope you enjoy this recent message from NBC, that it may help you connect to God, grow in your faith and serve in your own context. Oh, good morning. It is so good to be with you in church today. Amen? Oh, fantastic. I'm really looking forward to sharing with you. We are in a series looking at the minor prophets, and today we're unpacking Micah. So if you have your Bibles with you, open up Micah, and let's uh, go through this journey together. I don't know about you, but there are easy questions and there are hard questions in life. There are a lot of easy questions, like, what should I have for breakfast this morning? Should I get up out of bed? Well, maybe for some people, that's, that's a hard question. I don't know. Or should I buy an iPhone or an Android phone? It's a pretty easy question, right? But there are some harder questions as well. Like, what is the purpose of life? What are we really here for? In his book, The Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren tells a story of a philosophy professor who sought to find the purpose of life. And he wrote to 250 philosophers, scientists, and great thinkers, asking them, what is the purpose of life? What is it really about? He got a massive diversity of results. Many people had no idea. Some people wrote back to him saying, look, we we don't know when you find out. Please tell us. Some of them just made it up. This whole struggle with purpose and meaning is not new. It's actually at the core of what it means to be human, to know our purpose and to keep that at the centre of where we are going and who we are. You know, God's people have struggled with with keeping the purpose at the centre for generations. And today, as we look at the book of Micah, we see this theme of a people who have drifted from their God-given purpose. They had forgotten what it was all about. And God is calling them back to that center, to that God-given purpose. And so the book of Micah is written by a prophet called Micah who is speaking into the life of Judah. This is the southern kingdom of Israel. At this moment in history, the, the, the God's people, the Jews, are divided. There is the northern kingdom, northern Israel and Samaria, and there is a southern kingdom in, in Jerusalem. And Micah is particularly prophesying to the, to the south. And there's almost like this, this moral cancer, this drifting away from God, spreading from the north to the south. And Micah is calling them to account. He says, I am filled with strength, with the Spirit of God, and with justice and power to declare how Israel has rebelled. It's a very confronting book. But it also is great hope and great encouragement in it as well. So Micah is 800 years before Jesus. Anybody remember what was happening 800 years ago? Long time ago, hey. But despite the fact that he's 800 years before Jesus, he's actually also foreshadowing and looking forward to the coming of Christ and the hope and the forgiveness that Jesus will bring. Now who's here has read Micah recently? 
so I can get an idea of what I'm, what I'm dealing with. Anybody? Yeah, hands up. Okay, a few fantastic. I, I'd encourage you to go home and have a read because there's nothing like reading it yourself to really get a feeling about what this book is about. The big, the big picture message that I've um, got when I was looking at this book is that Mike is a bit like a, a giant stage play. It's like a drama. In the, and the setting is a cosmic courtroom. There's a lot of symbolic imagery, a lot of strong language. But if you keep that in mind, it really helps you as you understand the book of Micah. And so in this cosmic courtroom, this stage play, God is, is like the one that he's bringing against, he's, he's been hurt, he's been wounded, he's, he's bringing against accusations against his people. And Micah is a bit like the lawyer or a spokesperson on God's behalf to, to speak for God. The mountains are a bit like the witnesses. There's a lot of imagery there. And the foundations of the earth is a bit like this, this, this judge who's going to judge whether God's people are guilty or not. And so there's three main movements within this cosmic courtroom. First is God's accusation against his people. Second is God's warning for his people. And the third is a future hope for God's people. And in this, this idea, let's have a read now of Micah 6, 1 to 2. So if you've got your Bibles open up there, Micah 6, 1 to 2. Just listen to some of the language and, and hear this cosmic courtroom playing out. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up. Plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is, long, he is lodging a charge against Israel. And so we see here are people who have drifted from their purpose. They've lost their why. And they're starting to move into empty religion in place of real relationship with God. They've missed, they're starting to miss the point. And so God is calling them to account. He's saying, you know, come back, repent. Come back to your initial, your, your intended purposes as a people. Now, the problem with Judah at this time is that they, they had a whole lot of religious symbolism and practices that was masking this deeper heart problem. They were doing the right things, but for the wrong reasons. And they, were, they, weren't, they weren't walking closely with God, but on the surface, things looked pretty good. So let's have a look at some of the accusation that Micah brings. Micah 3, 9 to 11. Micah says this, Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort what is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they looked for the Lord's support and said, Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. So in many ways, they're blind to what's going on. They're not seeing that they've, they've, they've lost their purpose. They've started to go astray. And God is saying, no, come back to what I intended. Come back to, to walking closely with me. And this brings us to a key verse and a key section in Micah. Effectively, Micah's argument is on, behalf, on God's behalf is this. You, know, you are my people. I've called you by name. I've called you out to be my, my representatives. I've saved you out of Egypt. 
but yet you're not honoring me. You're not doing the right thing. You're not seeking justice. You're not loving mercy. And God is saying, come back. And if you don't come back, there's a warning, there's some strong warnings in Micah, calamity will come upon you. And in particular, Micah is referring to other nations, such as Assyria and Babylon, and using those, God using those nations to bring a really strong correction to his people. And as Micah goes on, I think the heart and the key verse in Micah is Micah 6.8. And this is what I'd like to really speak on today. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act, and say it with me, act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Young people, if you're going to memorize one verse of the Old Testament, this is a great place to start. Micah 6.8, a powerful verse to get your head around. And adults as well. Scripture memorization is so important. And I think that this is a really key verse. I keep coming back to it again and again and again. So let's have a look at what it means to, to seek justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. It's, it's hard for us to imagine what life was like for people 800 years before Jesus, living in a very different culture. But to help us get some sort of concept of the things they were grappling with, imagine this. Imagine that after church on Sunday, you go home to your house where your family's been living for generations, your family home, your, your sacred space. You pull out your keys, and you try to unlock your front door, but it won't work. Something's wrong. You don't quite know why your key's not working. It's very strange. So you decide to walk back around to your back door, and then you try the back door key. But the back door key's not working either. And then it dawns on you, it's this horrible fact dawns that someone's actually changed the keys to your house. Don't know what's going on. You start to panic a little bit. Like you're living in a very secure house. You can't, you can't get in. So you run back around to the, to, to the front of the house and you see two cars pull up. One black Schmicko sports car and a police car. And it is your rich, wealthy, and very unpleasant neighbor who lives on top of the hill, who's a land developer. And he's been seeking to get hold of your property for, for many years, but you've managed to hold him off. The other car is a police car. And as these three people get out, you feel a little bit of tension, but also relief. At least the police are here. They'll, they'll be able to help you. And what's happened is that wealthy neighbor, land developer, has actually gone to the bank and he's taken the deed to your property and he's holding it in his hand and his name is on it. And he now demands that he, you get off his land. And you look to the police for help, but you realize actually, as on closer inspection, that they're actually some of his best friends. He's on their payroll. They've bri he's bribed them. And they tell you to get off your land. Effectively, it's now not, now not yours. Over the next few months, you seek justice. You seek what is right, what you know to be true. And you even approach your, your local pastor for help. But he's actually been bought out as well. He's on the payroll. This is the type of tension that, 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 that was going on in those days. As we go back to that, that passage, that verse, it talks about the fact... Our next slide, please. Keep going. Yep. Right. Her leaders judge for a bribe. Her priests, her priests teach for a price. 
and her prophets tell fortunes for money. There's a lot of corruption going on. People have, have lost what really matters. They've lost the heart. And it's, it's all about wealth and money and prestige. And there's a heap of corruption going on. And, and so in, in this day and age, people were losing their properties. They were losing their family farm. And in, in, in a place where it was all about production and all about the family farm, that was a massive problem. You see, when it's talking about seeking justice, the Bible is referring back to the Mosaic law, the law that was laid down in Deuteronomy by Moses. And this idea of, of caring for the poor and marginalized was, was key to the law in Deuteronomy. And particularly it's this idea that if a family fell on hard times, if they had to sell their family farm, if they found themselves landless, there was just this concept of the year of Jubilee, that in 50 years, every 50 years, the land would be returned back to the initial families. And so you didn't have a situation where all the land was in the hands of the wealthy. And it prevented a lot of that corruption and distortion of wealth. But these type of things were being forgotten about. God's people had, had, had stopped seeking justice, doing what was right, and starting to, to seek what was best for themselves. You know, we all have a level of power and influence in our lives. God's gifted that to each of us. Even if you think you have no power and influence, you have influence. The question is, what will we use that influence to do? Will we use our power and influence to uphold what is right and what is true? Or will we be open to corruption? Will we be open to distorting the truth, to, distort, to fix and help our own needs? But we should seek justice, to do what is right. Micah also calls us to love mercy. God's calling his people back to be merciful. This concept, if you're not sure what is right, vert towards mercy and compassion. If you're in the way you interpret the law, do so with mercy and compassion. The people had lost the heart of the law. They were simply going through the motions. This concept of mercy is a really important one. You know, there's a difference between pity and mercy. Pity can be one of those things where you, you feel sorry for someone from a distance. It doesn't lead you to action. You just feel, oh, that poor person. Oh, poor them. But this concept of mercy, it's, it's, it's entering into their suffering. It's, it's compassion. It's empathy leading to action. Having compassion on those you have power over. And so God's people had lost this. They'd lost that compassionate action, that, that posture of mercy. You know what? I, I struggle with this at times. And sometimes it's very, you know, it's easy to have compassion fatigue as well when you care for someone and you continue to care. You can get very tired of that. And so it's why we need to come back to God again and again and again to be filled up by His Spirit so we can have his heart of mercy and compassion. Because you know what? We are, we're limited in our ability in this area. Many years ago, I did a, a degree in landscape architecture. I'm a little bit of a designy, creative type of person. And in my first year of landscape architecture, uh, we came across the idea of designing for disabled access. We had to sort of design um, outdoor, outdoor environments with disabled people in mind. Now, to my shame, 
I was not very compassionate or merciful towards people with a disability. I, I couldn't, I, I was really struggling to work out, oh, it's so much money and cost and, and hassle to do this. You know, I, I didn't have a good perspective on that. But you know what? A number of years later, I had a really serious car crash. And I found myself in a wheelchair for three and a half months with two broken legs and a broken arm. And having to walk that journey myself and having to endure suffering in a trial of, of literally being a person with a disability made me much more compassionate and understanding to people who live like that all the time. And so sometimes God uses difficult circumstances in our lives to grow us in mercy and compassion. There's nothing like experiencing that for yourself to help you have compassion on another who's walking that journey. So let's be people of mercy and compassion and, and not be people who are hard and bitter and not sympathetic towards others. So seek justice, to love mercy, and lastly, to walk humbly with your God. And I believe this is the key to this, to this passage, this idea of a humble walk with God. I love these few words. They are so powerful. This concept of walking. There is this spiritual journey that God's calling his people on to walk with him humbly. This, this concept of not with arrogance or pride, but with, but with dependence, surrender, acknowledging that God is God and we are not. Walk humbly with this beautiful partnership together with, with your, this, this personal nature of God. God is our God, your God. It's this togetherness. And lastly, that beautiful but powerful word, God. Micah presents a cosmic picture of our Creator who's literally stepping out of heaven and in the first chapter talks about the mountains melting like wax before Him. We are called to walk humbly with our wonderful, beautiful, holy, just and merciful Creator. What a privilege that is. But I don't know about you, but I don't always do that. I know what I'm called to do. I know, I know what my purpose should be. But so often I fall short of that. And, my, so we've, and I know the destructive nature of pride in my own life, but yet I still struggle with it at times. You know, pride and arrogance, it ruins our relationship with God. It destroys that vertical relationship because pride seeks to place ourselves in the position of God and allows no room for him in our lives. Effectively, we become God and we push God out. Pride also destroys our relationship with other people because he must try and maintain this, this, this picture like, we've got it all together. Like, I, I don't need your help. I'm fine. It's all good. And there's no room for vulnerability or transparency or real honesty or weakness or brokenness. Pride also destroys our ability to grow personally because we, we have no room for feedback. We have no room for correction or growth because you know what? I've got it all together. Just ask my wife. I don't have it all together, by the way. <laughs> and although we know the destructive nature of, of pride, humans struggle with it again and again and again. I mean, our, our spiritual ancestors, Adam and Eve, struggled with pride right back in the garden. They were tempted to be like God and have that, that knowledge of good and evil. 
Her arrogance and pride is repulsive, but humility is beautiful. Now, everyone's going and goes through their own walk of, of struggling with pride. And, and, and my walk is, has been a little bit like this. And I would encourage you to think about this graph. If the vertical represents how much you think you know, and the horizontal is the time and years, I wonder what your graph would look like. Mine looks a little bit like this, with maybe some more blips in there as well. And particularly as a younger person, I was quite arrogant. And I had an overdeveloped sense of myself, an, an, an overdeveloped sense of how good I was and how much I knew and, and how awesome that I was. And over time, I think what happens and what I've seen in my life and also as other people age, often there's a process of realizing, actually, you know what? I don't know everything. I'm not awesome at everything. Maybe I'm not even the best at, every, at, best at anything. But you know what? That's okay. God, have, God has gifted me in certain ways with certain strengths, and that's who I am. And there's this journey where, where this, this arrogance, hopefully over time, starts to change as, as life happens and things don't always go your way and you realize that you're not the center of the universe. And over time, your, your understanding of the world also increases like that red line. So I wonder in this graph, what's, what's your picture? What's your journey been like? And at times... God still humbles me to remind me that, that he is God and I am not. And that's okay. And so I'm still on, on the journey. I'm still on that walk of faith and growth. Excellent. Thanks. And you know what? There's a tremendous freedom in the idea of, of, of knowing that we don't get it right all the time because it, it places in a place of dependence on God's mercy and knowing forgiveness. And this is where Micah, in that third movement of Micah, in that chapter 7, really draws out this idea of forgiveness and hope, which is such a wonderful message for us today. It says this in Micah 7, 18 to 20. It says this, God, who is like you, who pardons sin and forgives transgression, the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever. Praise God. Praise God but delight to show mercy. And you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and you will hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. And you know what? There's no fishing. No fishing. No bringing those things back. And I love this passage because it highlights that what God calls his people back to Seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly is exactly who God is. He's a God of justice. He's a God of mercy. He's a God who in Christ shows us what it means to walk, walk humbly with him. It's a beautiful picture. And this gives us wonderful hope. And Micah doesn't just give us this, this hope of forgiveness, but goes beyond that. It points us to Jesus. Micah 5.2. It's like a lightning bolt of a a prediction of the coming Messiah. Because it comes and goes really quickly. It says this, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, although you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. There's this prediction of the coming of the Messiah, one who will come and rule forever. Next slide. And so, 
as we think about justice, mercy, humility, you know what? Jesus is the perfect picture of justice, mercy, and walking humbly with God. And the cross becomes the center point where these three things converge. The cross becomes a place where God's perfect justice meets God's perfect mercy and Jesus' humble dependence upon his heavenly Father. It's a beautiful moment in history where we see these three things converge. And we can come back to it again and again and again as we think about what our purpose is, what our hope, what our why is. Jesus at the centre. And so drawing us all together and, and, and landing this message, you know, there's three things here that, that I'm taking away. And, you know, I, just, I invite you over this week to think about these questions and wrestle with them. Number one is how can you walk humbly with God? How can you walk humbly with God? God's calling you to a, a journey with him of humility and dependence and surrender. What does that look like in your life? I'm finding this prayer helpful. Father, teach me to rest in your grace and to trust in your purposeful sovereignty. Just trusting in Jesus, walking humbly with God. Number two is how can you walk humbly with others? One helpful question that, that I've used in ministry sometimes is, is asking people who I trust, what do I do that draws you to me? What do I do that, that pushes you away? And being open to their response, being open to their feedback and growing from that. You know, if you're in a place of humility, there's a tremendous opportunity for growth. And lastly, what's your purpose? What's that purpose that God's calling you to? I don't think that in Micah 6, 8 has to be everybody's exact purpose, but those three ideas of, of justice, mercy, and humility need to be core to who we are, core to our purpose. It might be expressed slightly differently in our lives, but, but Jesus calls us to have those three things playing out in our lives, to love God, to love others, to walk humbly with him. So my question is, how does that look in your life? What's your purpose? Simple, memorable, powerful, biblical. Now, when we have clarity about our purpose in the future, it gives us power, God's power, in our present. And I pray that today you may know God's purpose for your life and know his power in your present. God bless and may you seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our loving Father.